If you were challenged to sum up the, God's message in the Bible in one sentence, what would you say? I would quote John 3.16. To me, that's it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. This is probably the most quoted verse in the entire Bible, and for good reason, because it summarizes the message of the gospel in one sentence. From beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible communicates God's love for us. The infinite, eternal, unchanging, all-powerful God loved us before the foundations of the earth. In fact, the Bible says he foreknew us. Those he predestined, he foreknew. And God delights in us, and he wants us to know him. God longs for us to be in a relationship with him. God sent his son, Jesus, to become a human being to show that God holds nothing back in his love for us. And please understand that Jesus gave himself up because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all part of the Godhead, the Trinity. And when it says God so loved the world that he gave, Jesus was part of that decision. Jesus gave himself to the world. He gave himself to us to enable us to be part of God's family. And this is good news. Now, let's go from narrowing the message of the Bible down to one sentence to narrowing it down to one word. Now, which word would you choose? And keep in mind that we have to capture human, you know, mankind's dilemma that we're sinners, okay? That we're destined to perish, Okay? And keep in mind God's solution to that problem in one word. Perhaps you're thinking, oh, that's impossible. That's impossible. How can we possibly summarize the story of humanity and the story of God into one single word? Maybe all of a sudden you're thinking, I have it. The word grace. God's unmerited favor bestowed upon mankind. And that is a great one-word attempt. It is a profound theological word, but that wouldn't be the word that I would select. My one word is actually a name. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, it's Yeshua, sometimes translated as Joshua. It means deliverer, savior, the one who saves. In the New Testament, in the original Koine Greek language of the New Testament, it's the word Iesus, Jesus. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, in the birth narratives of Christmas, where Joseph was reminded that as the father, he was going to be naming this child. He's responsible for doing that. And this child that was conceived and in utero in his wife Mary, and it said to him there, you are to give him the name Iesus. Give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Our John 3.16 text mentions that everyone who believes in Jesus will not perish. This is the good news and the bad news of the Bible all wrapped up into one. The bad news is, whoever does not believe in Jesus will what? What does it say? Perish. God didn't want people to perish, which is why he sent his son Jesus on this rescue mission. 
Now let's take a closer look at the context here because it's dealing directly with one high-ranking religious official in uh, Jerusalem at that time who God didn't want to perish. And we're going to read verses 1 through 14 of chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and asked, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, how can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's been born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asks. How can you be born again like this? How, you know, that's what he's asking. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken of you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He appeals to the Old Testament account where these poisonous snakes were killing people in Israel because of Israel's sin. And, and Moses instructed by God's direction to put a serpent on a staff. It's the very symbol that you see on doctor's offices and letterhead for hospitals and, and medical professionals because it's a sign of healing. And the sign of healing is that Jesus must be lifted up. Now verse 15 Maybe one of the lesser quoted verses in the Bible, right alongside of the most quoted verse in the Bible, says that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So how did mankind arrive at this juncture of a needing a Savior, the one who would be lifted up on the cross? In Genesis chapter 1, we read about God's creation of the world, that God created everything. He created the light. He created the sky, the sea, the trees, the plants. He created fruit and birds and day and night. He created all the animals. And finally, he comes to the apex of his creation, humanity, men and women. And each step along the journey when God is creating something, uh, each day God stops and says, it was good. And then, when he comes to the pinnacle of his creation, when it comes to male and female, he said in Genesis 1.31 that God saw everything he made, and indeed, it was very good. Now, the Genesis account also tells us as human beings that we've been created in God's image, being created like God to reign over God's creation as co-regents with God. We were doing, and while doing this, we're also intended to be in a relationship 
with the Creator, the, with God Himself. And to make all of this possible, God has instilled characteristics in us, such as the capacity to know and love God, as well as to know and love our fellow human beings, plus the wherewithal to steward creation. In addition to this, God gave to each person in this world a free will. We're not robots or some form of artificial intelligence that is automatically programmed to please God with every single thing we do. God wanted offspring who could freely choose to love and obey him. Think about this for a moment. God loved us so much that he was willing to risk us choosing to reject him as a potential of his gift of free will. Right alongside the choice of us choosing to know him, to love him and follow him in return for his love and grace that he's bestowed upon us. Today, because of sin, we live in a fallen world that is ravaged by mankind's choice to reject God. We live in a world that's far removed from the Garden of Eden, from the paradise that God intended in his creation when people walked with God. We live in a world where diseases kill millions of people annually, a world of famines and wars and natural disasters of every kind. We live in a world where poverty is rampant and where racism is on every continent, where there's crime and slavery and homelessness and injustices abound. Humanity is constantly in peril. Just open up your computer, log on and read the news for that day, or turn on the evening news and listen for a few moments, and you will see many of the tragedies of this broken world. And this doesn't even take into account the bad news that exists on a personal level. Failing marriages, infidelity, divorce, friendships that are destroyed by selfishness, greed that puts people at odds with their neighbors, their co-workers, and sometimes even family members. There's also addictions. Addictions to drugs, alcohol, pain medications, vaping, gambling, gaming. You could go on and on. There's also eating disorders and hopelessness and joblessness and anxiety and depression and financial uh, setbacks and corruptions in the halls of power and in our judicial system. There's also death, loss, and grief to encounter. And sometimes people just simply wrestle with despair because their lives haven't turned out like they wanted or had planned for them to turn out. Mankind has completely gone off the rails. And the third chapter of Genesis describes the event that led to all of this, that, such, that had such catastrophic implications that it still reverberates all the way to today. Let me read for you chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Now the serpent was more crafty than all the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. 
She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you to not eat from? The devil had persuaded Adam and Eve to partake of the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden so they could become like God. And overwhelmed by this temptation to become like God by knowing good and evil, Adam and Eve turned away from God and followed the evil one's leading. They decided they didn't need to count on God to provide all they needed for life. They decided that they could do life on their own. And we call this tragic event where sin entered into the world, original sin. And this sin has spread through all the ages to all humanity, infecting humanity with the full spectrum of evil inclinations and inappropriate behaviors. G.K. Chesterton once said, original sin is the part of Christian theology that can easily be proved. He said we prove it every single day by sinning. And C.S. Lewis wrote, What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods. They could set up on their own as if they had created themselves. They could be their own masters. They could invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of and apart from God. Now, out of this hopelessness, uh, the attempt has come Out of this hopeless attempt has come nearly all of what we have known as human history. All of it has been littered with greed and lust and thirst for power and poverty and injustice and prostitution and class warfare and abuse and slavery and the like. There's this long story of humanity trying to find something other than God which will make them happy. And God's response to our first parents' rebellion and every person's rebellion since is the same. His response to our own personal sin against his rightful and holy rule in our lives, you know what that response is? It's what we celebrate now. It's Jesus. Jesus. God's response to mankind's rebellion was to give himself, to give Jesus to be our Redeemer. As Romans 5, 8 says, that God demonstrated his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is no salvation apart from Jesus. There's no deliverance from the control of sin in our lives apart from him. There's no possibility of a restored relationship apart from Jesus with God. No end to sickness in this world apart from him. There's no new heaven or no new earth without Jesus. There's no victory over sin and death apart from him. There's no such thing as redeeming grace apart from the willingness of God to give himself in the person of Jesus to be the sinless sacrifice, our Messiah. Jesus is the grace of God given to sinners who are unable to free themselves from the penalty and the power of sin. The Christmas story is all about God's grace in its most surprising 
and shocking form. A baby in a manger. The King of kings and the Lord of lords takes on human flesh. The creator becomes the created. The one who has created a perfect world exposes himself to a world that's been ravaged by sin. The judge of all places himself under judgment. The one who deserves all praise and glory becomes a sacrificial lamb of God. And G- John the Baptist said as much when he first saw Jesus coming and, and saw him in public. He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The one who deserves all of humanity's love subjected himself to being despised and being rejected. The one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the one who owns all things, lived with no place to call home except a barn and a feeding trough. God has done his part by giving the great gift of Christmas, Jesus. And now we have to do our part by admitting our sin, admitting our moral failure, and turning our lives uh, over to God by faith. Jesus said in John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as received him, to them gave you the right to become children of God. In our scripture reading today from Matthew chapter 10, Jesus was sending out his 12 disciples, the ones who had become the apostles. And he sent them out to announce that the kingdom of God was near. But he's telling them it's come as well because it had come in the person of Christ and it was inaugurated in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is telling us that the Messiah has come, that Christ has come. Vance Havner once said, Christmas is based on the exchange of gifts. The gift of God to man, his son, and the gift of man to God when we give ourselves to God. See, Christmas is all about sharing gifts. And as Matthew 10, verse 8 says in the end there, freely you have received, freely give. We give ourselves to God, first of all, and then we give ourselves to others by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and the impact that our Lord and Savior has had upon our lives. That's called our testimony. We also share physical gifts and resources with others to better their lives out of the abundance that we ourselves have received. You know, this Christmas Eve love offering is intended to be a gift for Jesus. It's intended to be a birthday gift to celebrate God's love and the grace that God has bestowed upon each one of us. And this year, we're going to be helping some of the poorest people in the world from one of the poorest nations, the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Children with parents struggling with issues of addiction and abuse will be cared for, and they will be given Christian love and support through Naomi House. In Christian charity, we get to reverse, in a small way, the effects Uh, of a fallen world and the effects that this fallen world has taken uh, and they've taken so much from indigenous people in our land. In doing so, we show our love for God through the sharing of gifts. A Christmas heart is a giving heart that thinks of others first. And that's what Jesus did. Friends, Christmas is the gift from heaven of God's Son, given for free, And if Christmas is not found in our hearts, you will never find it under any tree. Freely you have received. Freely give. Would you pray with me, please? God, our Father, we thank you today.
for the gift of salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. The one word summation of the entire Bible, Jesus the Christ. And we thank you so much today for this. And thank you that you love the world. You loved every bit of this world. Broken, fallen, sinful. And you wanted to restore this world to uh, your original intent. Where people would walk in a relationship with you. And God, you have placed us here as ambassadors to pass on this message. And Lord, at this time of year, it's a wonderful time to highlight that very story, that very purpose to which Christ came. Help us to do that individually, Lord, and help us to do it uh, in our relationship with you, acknowledging our sin and acknowledging our moral failure and recognizing our deep need for you. And Lord, in a heartfelt way, pass that in, passing, let us pass that along to everybody else we know. And we pray this now as we continue to celebrate the joy of this season on this third Sunday of Advent, in Jesus' name.